Hi folks, you may be wondering, why is there a Rings of Power bonus episode in my Wattcast feed? That show came out months ago and the season already ended. Well, the answer is that this uh, free episode preview was uploaded originally right after the first two episodes of the show had premiered. And then, due entirely to my own error, was deleted from the server... I have recently been informed that it was no longer available to download, so a few of you already downloaded it and listened to it way back in September 2022. But for those who didn't, here it is again in the feed, just so you can hear our naive, young, optimistic thoughts about the Rings of Power, which we really liked at the time and had planned to revisit at the end of the season. You'll hear how that went. Enjoy. Haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? There's wonders in this world, beyond our wandering. I can feel it. Welcome to this special bonusode or bonus episode of Wattcast. Today we are joined again by our favorite recurring guest. Well, I shouldn't play favorites, but uh, all right, it's out there for the world. Jerry Too late, Barnett. You already did it. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, th I, th I think de facto at least one of our favorite guests, uh, le you know, le <laughs> legally speaking. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the rings of power the new amazon lord of the Rings show uh the new most expensive tv show in the history of tv shows more expensive than almost any film that has ever been made i believe once you factor in the uh, the rights purchasing and mm. the marketing um and uh and certainly um one of the most ambitious uh one of the most ambitious pieces of television fantasy media ever made at this point uh in 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 some interesting ways we'll have plenty to talk about uh, as i just said we are joined by jerry barney uh you heard his voice a second ago hi jerry hey everybody <laughs> keely frank oh uh, whose voice i didn't hear uh just now oh there we go. Okay. Uh, we've been, we, uh, as, as is often the case, we've had some technical issues to work through today. Hopefully everything will be A-OK -okay by the time you're listening to this. Finally, joined by Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. So, uh, wow, where to begin? That it's it, As I was thinking about the structure of this episode, uh, it was difficult to decide just because there is so much to talk about, both of the making of the show, the the, the nature of the show, like what it, what its relationship is to Lord of the Rings. There's so much that people are confused about, including that we were, uh, all of us at various points, I think, in chat, can, like trying to clarify and understand what went into the making of this and, and what the show is, what it's about. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, what material it's even adapting. Before we dive into that, though, as is our, uh, our burgeoning tradition, I'd like to get our quick individual personal backgrounds with Lord of the Rings just to gauge sort of what our relationship is to the material. I think it's always nice to to have that, like, you know, understanding of where we're each coming from and, and what this stuff means to us, whether we're coming to it fresh and without past bias, whether we've got long childhood experiences with, with some Lord of the Rings things. 
so we'll, we'll just go we'll just go down uh, the list. Keely, uh, what what is your history with all things Lord of the Rings and Tolkien? Yeah, so growing up, my sister and my dad were huge fans. Like they had read all the books. Uh, we had the books, and then when the movies came out, my dad and my sister went to one of those back to back all day long showings. So oh they would god! Just, like give you a break. <laughs> wow. Um. I never read them when I was younger. Uh, I was absolutely terrified of everything as a kid. And my mm. sister had a cover, the cover of The Hobbit that she had. I'll have to try to find it. And it scared the crap out of me as a kid. Like I would turn the book around. Like so he wasn't looking at me. <laughs> Is it um, the Gollum one? There was a really I, frightening Gollum I honestly one don't think it was even that scary looking. I was just kind of a little bitch. Oh, gotcha. But <laughs> it wasn't until uh, I got to college then that I ended up watching the movies. And now I've seen the movies a billion times <laughs> and same with I controversial opinion fucking love the Hobbit movies like Whoa. they are hot hot garbage but they're so much fun and I love dwarves yeah, so I don't fun. give a shit they're, they're like, a I don't, I don't fun, think of that yeah. seriously that, that's, that's a good hot opinion that's a good <laughs> <one>. <laughs> um, <laughs> like did they add anything I don't know it's just fucking good time like it's the same reason why you watch movies like Pacific Rim are they good no are they fun yes <laughs> so um, and I have read the Hobbit a couple times but I have also never actually read Lord of the Rings. I own mm. multiple copies. Wow. Many, many books own, are written by Tolkien, but of all the books of his that I've read, The Lord of the Rings is not one of them. <laughs> it's on my TBR every year and I never get to it. Okay, cool. So you've got, um, th that'll be interesting for the for talking about the TV show, which in a lot of ways is pooling from the movies and from, you know, that, that visual legacy of Lord of the Rings that's been established as much as it is from any written source material. So it'll be interesting to have your voice on as somebody whose main relationship with the Lord of the Rings is in, in the visual space, the visual media. Mm. I'm curious, have, have you ever seen the, um, uh, by many, beloved, I think by many Gen Xers and maybe even a few boomers, the, uh, the Rankin and Bass animated Hobbit? Um, no, no, I'm saying absolutely sure. terrifying. <laughs> Never, oh, yeah. it, it fell into one of those where there was like that type of style cartoon movies that yeah, was really popular yeah. for a while and I was terrified of all of them so no I've never seen it I don't think we'll have much time to talk about it today but that movie has a very interesting history in that the people who animated it were largely the ones who went on right after that project to form Studio Ghibli beloved uh, uh, you know um, Miyazaki and Takahata fact. Studio. Yeah, that they were Rankin and Bass were actually kind of formative in the burgeoning um, the burgeoning Japanese animated film and television industry. And you know that was obviously a a low budget. Um, I think, wait, what, I might have. I don't want. I'm not sure if it was a TV production. Maybe it was just that it aired on TV all the time. That, mm -hmm. that I think of it as a TV production. I think it was a Canadian co-funded thing. But anyway. Um, that show has an interesting, or that movie has an interesting relationship to future stuff because it kind of plays a big part in, in some ways in, in the shaping of, uh, even Peter Jackson's Hobbit, uh, wow. movies. Granted his are three times as long, you know, it's taken, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. going from like, or more than that. Cause, uh, anyway, if that, if that becomes relevant in the course of this, uh, I'm happy to talk about that one. I, I have a little bit of fondness for, for that production, even though I didn't see it till I was an adult. Jerry, what is your Lord of the Rings history? So I'm a filthy casual. Uh, I never read the books, and by which I mean never touched a Tolkien book, period. No Silmarillion, no. no Hobbit, no Lord of the Rings. But I do love a good bit of lore. So I am an avid 
uh, uh, fan wiki uh, peruser. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I know a decent amount about at least like the, the, the uh, you know, gods hierarchy, mm -hmm. if you want to call them that. I know they have their own Maiar and Valar and stuff like that. But um, so, yeah, my, my experience is mostly movies and wiki and and the, the the you know the fan wiki so that's, jerry, that's where i'm coming from jerry jerry you love lore you're diving yep. into the wikis for this stuff yep. okay what let if, me say what if let i me told you Hold on, let me clarify I... <laughs> I like an extent i like uh, there's a certain point at which i stop caring about lore and it's uh -huh. when you start getting into bloodlines i'm like i don't care who's the son of whom and Silmarillion does that, to my to my understanding, ad nauseum. And it's just like this guy, and then this guy, and then this guy. And I'm just like, that's mm, that's the Lord no. of the Rings appendices. That's okay. The, fair uh, enough. Fair enough. That's yeah. the, no, no. Silmarillion is like, what if a wiki is worth of lore? Uh, yeah, yeah. But it were like written beautifully and presented as like uh, in in, do... in an ongoing narrative. I think. I think the creation myth in Tolkien is my favorite creation myth ever. I think it is awesome the way the world came yeah. to, to came to be, uh, and that's kind of really what roped me into reading more about uh, about you know Tolkien lore and the world that it's set in. But so yeah, well, I mean, we'll get into the conversation. But like, it, I feel like my viewpoint, my perspective coming into this show is different from both movie watchers and book readers. Uh, yeah. Because I'm 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 the plane walker. I'm the planeswalker. I'm walking between the worlds, <laughs> and it feels a little odd because I feel like there's ire on both sides. I'm just like I don't know what everybody's so upset about. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I'm coming from. If you love the creation myth, I'm going to convince you at some point to read at just yeah. the, fir the first two chapters of Silmarillion. Okay. E even. See, that's reasonable. <laughs> Which I actually happened to reread uh, this past weekend, um, mm -hmm. just uh, just brushing myself up on on some of the backdrop stuff. And this will this will tell you a little. Uh, I mean, I, I found uh, the Silmarillion much harder to get through as a kid than mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings books. But as an adult reading that the creation myth stuff, <laughs> this is going to sound completely ridiculous to anybody uh, who hasn't hasn't read it uh the creation of the dwarves made me tear up a little bit the wow. story that, it's like a two-page short story in these two chapters but it's beautiful uh i'm gonna have to check it out yeah um so that's uh well i'll, I'll get into my background in a second dan uh, let's get your history with lord of the rings uh first exposure was probably the live action trilogy uh which i was really obsessed with as a kid i loved the video games based off of those um Pretty much all of them. So I absorbed anything that came out of like the the extended like encyclopedias mm -hmm. they did, like the visual ones, uh, the oh, video yeah. games, um, both the handheld ones, like the RPGs, and also the the hack and slash ones were a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was it for a while. I read actually before that, or like early on, around the same time as the movies, I read The Hobbit most of the way. I was borrowing it from the library as a kid, and I think mm -hmm. I had to return it before I finished it. So I don't know if I've ever read the entire Hobbit. Uh, and then later I read The Fellowship of the Ring, did not enjoy it, so I did not read the second two <laughs> books at all. Uh, I found it to be very different than the movies, and I think mm -hmm. I was, like, obsessed with the movies. So as a teenager, I was much more into, like, YA stuff. So kind of like Jerry, I felt like it was way too much about lineage and history. And, like, I didn't want to read a history mm -hmm. book. I wanted to read a fantasy book, and I didn't feel like I got that experience with Lord of the Rings. And there was, like, it didn't – his writing style was very low stakes for everything. So yeah. you can't really mm – -hmm. I found it hard to get immersed because it's, like – Somebody's about to die, but let's go into the history of this like blade or whatever. Like, oh, his clothing was from this town. That was like yada yada. It's like 
a paragraph of that just like any stakes were lost in the moment because i'm just like okay are we done talking well, about it, where the origin yeah. of his cloak or whatever like so is anyways boromir takes a 15th arrow to the chest <laughs> right. back to that scene pretty much oh. so i just found, i found that very different than the movies which i thought were very like emotionally driven and very character driven mm. um and focused a lot less on the history which i know pissed off some fans so i'm sure, sure we'll get into that with the the new series but yeah i don't know Overall, I've, I've liked Lord of the Rings. The books don't appeal to me as much, but like the, the media is fun. And I have seen the animated movie, The Hobbit, one that you're talking about, Caleb. So that was, mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed it. It was kind of bizarre, but it had its own <laughs> charm. And then I think my least favorite media, which I know Keely's not going to like, but I fell asleep in both the first and second Hobbits. And I didn't <laughs> see the third one because of that. So I've not seen any you're, of the Hobbit movies completely because I yeah. literally passed out in the first you're, two. You're not missing much in skipping the third one, honestly. No. I, th I, think, I think, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I feel like even if, even if, like, I I, th I did think that the first two movies had a lot to like in them, the first two totally. Hobbit movies. And there are fan edits that I really enjoy uh, that oh, sure. sort of combine all three movies. Yeah. But most of them condense the the three hours of the third movie, whatever it is, down down to like maybe 20, 30 minutes of, of, of it that they pull out of it. Because um, it is kind of one endless battle scene. Well, the, I, the... I came like I was I came into those from a bad position because mm -hmm. Del Toro is one of my favorite directors and he was working yeah. on the project for a while. And then there's some background thing that calls him to split from the project. And I feel yeah. like a lot of his creative energy was lost in the final production. It's that they like wanted he, to split it into three movies, I believe. Was yeah, he didn't want to do that many. It's like, if you had focused one Del Toro movie with Peter Jackson, could have been the most epic fantasy movies, like animatronic wolves or like really good CG and everything. And so we mm -hmm. got a very like, all the orcs became CG and they became very unbelievable and everything felt very green screen, like Peter or uh, George Lucas to me. And like mm -hmm. the magic of like, all the makeup and I was so obsessed with the behind the scenes of like the original trilogy and all the miniatures they use. And it's this beautiful production design. And he just scrapped that for the George, uh, the George Lucas green screen mm -hmm. on everything. We have very fake looking creatures. It's just like, all of that was lost to me. Everything just be started to become very like production, like, uh, I don't know, Hollywood current, mm -hmm. like modern productions of just mm -hmm. like pump it out as fast as possible with like use CG for everything. Cause you don't want to take risk at all during the production life cycle. So I don't know. He's, it just felt like there was a lot of shortcuts taken and it was bloated way too much to make money. And it did make a lot of money, which pissed mm -hmm. me off because it's like making yeah. a billion. So I, Lord of the Rings has crossed into that whole, and this series too, mm -hmm. which we're going to dive into, but just like the whole, you've stopped becoming a series because you you have like great value. It's like you're, you're just monetized and you're now mm -hmm. like, I know there's sort of like monolithic series like Star Wars and um, Harry Potter that are now yep. just like franchises because they make money, not because they yep. actually have a lot of value to get back to yeah, the viewers. Yeah, they have the anything viewers. more to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will be this. This is going to be a, a very interesting cast on this because I feel I feel like a lot of times <laughs> what you get on any sort of Lord of the Rings cast is um uber nerds uh, and like like major people who are just you know nah man we're too um, cool for the, that uh, <laughs> well i i i'm not and the funny thing is i'm gonna be i'm gonna be that one on this cast background even cool. though i didn't didn't really consider myself one uh and don't really because i was so you know as a kid a lot of my good friends you're, you're the um, third grader at the table of kindergartners <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no it was usually the reverse i, I usually had like uh <laughs> like old, more 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 older friends who and oh, know, yeah, like, sure. one of whom introduced me to lord of the rings my and uh my dad also dan's dad was um was fairly into he he, he read it read us the hobbit really young like that was one of the first books i remember 
um, yeah. being being read to me as a very small child. And uh, he also liked the Lord of the Rings, so inevitably, inevitably I tried to get into those. And uh, I had several uh, several friends who were obsessively into the books mm -hmm. um, in in the nineties before you know the show before the movies rather were even announced or or any more than a vague possibility people have been trying to make for thirty something years at that point. Um, and so I wound up uh, initially also getting into it kind of Jerry through hearing about the lore, hearing friends talking about like, oh, all this, this cool stuff in the background, you know, other than the Hobbit, the Hobbit really was my gateway. And uh, so to me, a, me a mega Lord of the Rings geek is somebody who like has actually tried to learn uh, Tengwar Quenyan <laughs> or Sindarin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew those people. I know those Kenya, people still. Yeah. Who, uh, uh, yeah, Kenya, who, who actually, see, I don't even know the proper pronunciations uh, all the time, but, <laughs> but I, know, I, I know those people who like know the language, have the stuff memorized. Whereas, you know, I, I read, it took me maybe seven tries as a, as a kid to read The Fellowship of the Rings because I don't, wow. I, I think it is a very hard book to get into when you're, you know, as, as, as a kid coming from, especially if you're coming from the action-packed Hobbit, all the things you were saying, Dan, about, um, about the, 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 the slow pacing of it, the methodical, like sort of mythic structure, that was a really hard barrier for me for years. I kept getting lost around the fact that they still hadn't gotten out of the Shire for like the first 250 pages and mm -hmm. hearing all, all, all the background. Eventually I did, I made it through, like I, you know, I tried the first time and I was like seven failed, nine failed. I was then like, <laughs> then, then when the movies were going to be coming out, I finally was like old enough to read through and, 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 and enjoy the hell out of them. Um, and I read the Silmarillion, uh, and it was very, very dense by comparison, and very like written in sort of a mythic, biblical kind of kind of yeah. language and style, though still you know like narrative focused and, and it had very beautiful prose in a lot of places, um, and good mythic stories. And then I tried to read the uh, the enormous History of Middle Earth series, which were the the you know sort of Chris Tol Christopher Tolkien edited oh, and published, yeah. like you know collect. Like, whole bookshelf worth of which I eventually, which I did buy of these, <laughs> of these like, you know, gathered notes of Tolkien turned into these massive volume wikis essentially through everything. And I could not make it through those. I made it like two or three deep, maybe doing a lot of skimming. I was just like, I can't, I'm, I, I, no, <laughs> it was, yeah, too, I, I didn't, I didn't care that much. So I'm, so I'm pretty, pretty big lord of the rings is a very important is very important to me and like as a formative as a writer i i had you know i don't think the books are perfect by any means i think they are hard to get into if you're not into that particular flow and style of what tolkien's going through um and they've had an enormous influence on basically all of fantasy since they were written they're they're you know oh, yeah. as yep. as foundational as as any any book in any medium probably in terms of in terms of the shadow they cast over the genre uh, so, um, and yeah, I love, I love the movies. Loved it. Th those were like the biggest events of my uh, childhood. It sounds like we were all big fans of, of the movies. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, w I was so excited to get, <laughs> uh, to go classic. to each, each of those. Yeah. Um, I still love them. Uh, I think the, the, fe the fellowship of the rings extended cut is, um, it might be my favorite fantasy movie. I think, it, I think it's, um, a masterpiece and, and, mm -hmm. I, and I still, I still like the other two a lot. Um, Anyway, uh, that brings us to uh, through all of our backgrounds with Lord of the Rings in in brief, and so we'll each have some pretty different perspectives here uh, from from what material is central to us, like what is the Lord of the Rings when we think about Lord of the Rings in, in our minds. This show, Amazon show, which comes about because Jeff Bezos has more money than God himself mm -hmm, and is mm -hmm. also a very big Lord of the Rings fan, 
and decided he would throw as much of God's money at, at the project as, <laughs> as it took to make it happen. Um, and uh, it is impossible to talk about why the show was made, why it's about what it is, without talking about the extremely cursed uh, history of the Lord of the Rings property rights, like the intellectual oh, uh, property and uh, and and rights holders of the Lord of the Rings, of the Silmarillion, of all these Tolkien properties, and the difference between what Tolkien's estate owns, like what his kids own, versus what a company called Middle Earth Enterprises owns, which you may may assume is owned by the Tolkien estate. No, it is a separate holding company that, through circuitous means, since the since uh, residual and matching rights were sold to Saul Zantz in the seventies, I want to say like seventy six or something has matching rights to all of the Lord of the Rings with limited exceptions to like, you know, the existing movies themselves and, and which they are now going to be embroiled. It seems like possibly in a legal battle with Warner brothers over it's okay. uh, there's wild stuff going on here. So what is this show at a glance, you know, the, the this show opens talking about the Silmarils and talking about Valinor and, and, you know, where the elves come, come from and Morgoth's, war with the elves and the elves leaving Valinor and, and all that. But uh, that's, it's just kind of like glossed over in a couple minutes. We barely learned who Morgoth is other than this great evil before we're being, we're being ushered into the, uh, the, the wicked arms of his chief lieutenant, Sauron, who, who is then becoming the focus. Um, and that is interesting if you know that Morgoth is the is you know the the central villain of of most of the Silmarillion and and, and Sauron is you know like a major character and a major force and is his lieutenant. But we're that's that's all happening because the long and short is that Amazon was able to secure only a limited set of rights allowing them to make a TV show longer than eight episodes based on the Lord of the Rings and appendices and potentially the Hobbit. I'm actually not sure about that offhand. I read conflicting reports. I would have to uh, double check, but I don't think it really matters for these purposes because there's very little in the Hobbit that is not um, repeated in Lord of the Rings and appendices. So the situation the show is in is that anything referenced directly in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings is fair game and they can depict that. And then they've worked with the estate on like what they're allowed to show and extrapolate from. However, and that overlaps heavily with the Silmarillion and with the history of Middle Earth and, you know, in some places with the Unfinished Tales, there's all these other books, there's the Children of Hurin and, and stuff um, that mo almost all of which were published after Tolkien's death because he only published The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings in his lifetime, I believe, and didn't consider any of the others finished. If I'm not mistaken, maybe the Silmarillion, I shouldn't, should have, shouldn't know that, but I can't recall. I think that was also published posthumously. End result being that anything that is in the Silmarillion that is not directly described uh in in the appendices of the lord of the rings can't be shown in this show those are those are among the rights which belong to others which belonged to the salzantz and salzantz company for decades and now as of this past month or two have passed into the hands of an all-consuming entity known as Embracer Group, which was seeded with billions of dollars of Saudi royal oil money a few years ago, and has systematically bought up uh, over 80 game studios uh, across the world, various media companies, comic book companies, movie companies, uh, mm -hmm. holding companies of various media rights, television shows, and is, is forming in the most rapid fashion I have ever seen just this globe-spanning media conglomerate of properties, which now include Middle Earth Enterprises 
and the rest of the Lord of the Rings rights, including uh, uh, allegedly, reportedly, um, matching rights to any Lord of the Rings project, such that if anybody wants to make anything with Lord of the Rings from this point on, uh, Embracer Group gets a chance to buy it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at matching price, uh, like like whatever, like that. So, yeah, terrifying oh, end game capitalism. Right yeah, there. terrifying, terrifying. Yeah. Even even it's from wild. a games even from a games perspective, for a while there it was like every single day it was like this studio has been bought by Embracer Group. Uh -huh. And like at the time, at the time, like nobody had heard. It was literally like a shadow org, just gobbling. I've never heard of them. It's yeah, it's it's spooky stuff. But you wow. know, <laughs> that's maybe for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's without even touching the cursed IP history of the Lord of the Rings itself, which mm. <laughs> was accidentally released into the public domain in the United States for years. And so the and, and, really. And, yeah, it's such in paper such that all the official all, sorry all the unofficial paperbacks that people read in the U.S. were not sending royalties to Tolkien. They were published without his consent, and they were because they forgot to do a very you know like copyright used to be much more like by the letter and Byzantine oh, yeah. and the way you had to file it and and had to list it in the published work, which the UK publisher failed to do, and it took like decades of wrangling and legal wrangling before. Tolkien in the series of legal battles finally secured rights to the Lord of the Rings in America. Now only I think those limited paperbacks are still in public domain. Um, now, okay, so that that's a lot of that's a lot of setup. Any, any anything else important I missed about getting into the uh, the background of how this show was made before we talk about what what's in the show itself? No, but I did find the cover, and let me see if it works. <laughs> the, the one that's haunts your childhood. Yeah, and yeah, now yeah, looking at it as an adult, I was right to be fucking scared. <laughs> yes, you were. I don't I remember Gollum being in. So yeah, it's it's the. I'll have to like look up what year. Oh my god, that was. is horrifying. Oh, I, I do remember this one. Oh. The, there's like a like a like an arch, um, and then Gollum is in the background, but he looks less like Gollum and more like like a white, like, <laughs> like a oh, like I'm a blanking white on walker. it. The 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 dead guy the from the yeah the crypt keeper. Yeah, it looks, it looks yeah. pretty crypt keepery. Uh, also, then... Frodo. I did not picture Frodo being so uh, oh, rotund. Bilbo in this oh, that's Bilbo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because it is the Hobbit. Bilbo, still, Bilbo still though. Yeah, I don't remember Gollum being there at all. So I am. I am. Mm. Proud of little Keely for being terrified of that because what? <laughs> yeah. You're right to be afraid. <laughs> that's a that's a scary scene too. That that definitely oh, yeah. well you know oh, yeah, frightened yeah. me as a five year old anyway. But um, riddles in the dark and and even this interesting this cover. I'm not sure which year it's from, but it's notice it says at the top the authorized edition of the fantasy classic. Oh. So you know you're buying one where the money actually went to Tolkien and mm. not not to just whoever decided to publish it without their permission. This <laughs> was as they were widely done. Okay, so um, yeah, let's talk about the show itself and we can come back to any other production details we need to because this, just a behemoth of a show, as, as was mentioned, you know, $250 million to secure the rights to it, hundreds of millions spent on the, the production budget for itself, hundreds of millions more on the marketing campaign. Amazon is, I'd say they were putting all their eggs in this basket, except Bezos has unlimited eggs. So they're, mm -hmm. they're you know, he couldn't. And couldn't, unlimited baskets for uh, that matter. He could make a hundred of these if he wanted to, and it wouldn't <laughs> bankrupt the company. Uh, so the show, we, we've seen episodes one to two, which aired uh, this past weekend at the, or just before the weekend at the same time. Um, covers, like I said, brief history, very brief of, of, you know, the creation of Valinor, Morgoth's war with the elves, the elves heading to Middle Earth to continue uh, kind of mysteriously as the show presents it, and, you know, this continued war with, uh, with Sauron 
over the barely mentioned um, Silmarils initially and becomes this ongoing, ongoing battle for centuries, maybe millennia before uh, the forces of evil are defeated. Um, Morgoth is bound at the heart of the earth, which I don't think the show up mentions. It's just kind of he just kind of disappears from his from the right, narrative. Yeah, he's, he's, he's vanquished. Um, yeah, and uh, and then but but Galadriel. Uh, our our um, our morning star Galadriel, late much later in Lord of the Rings of Lothlorien, is not giving up the hunt. She is combing the world for Sauron because she knows that uh, this is not over as long as this evil persists, and and so she's following um, Sauron to the northern ass end of the earth, taking her elven um, rangers through these like frozen passes, and 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 finally finding. Um, signs of the, the of the places where Sauron has been. Nonetheless, the rest of the elves aren't interested in this. The king of the elves, Gilgalad, sort of um, semi forcibly retires her with honors back oh, to yeah. Valinor. Bas- yeah, basically. Paradise. I don't know if it was semi forcibly. I think it was a hundred percent forcibly. It's just like get gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what's well, the option is kind of that she's just going to be like you know a pariah if she doesn't right yeah pretty much excommunicado kind of situation yeah Yeah. um so she initially decides to go and then uh, as like this what i think very uh like beautiful uh production design the veil the sort of veil of heaven kind of thing we see before before valinor which is you know this this island off the edge of the world to the west or at the edge of the world she like leaps off the boat (laughs) swims across the whole damn ocean uh, i guess uh, (laughs) um in the in a, in a heroic feat of strength, and uh, meets up with a guy from a shipwreck uh, named uh, Halbrand of the Southland, with whom she floats near Numenor. Before they are rescued by who appears to be, from the next time on at the end of the show, none other than Isildur, who mm-hmm. those Lord of the Rings fans may remember at at Numenor, uh, the great human island civilization, which seems to be a mystery to the elves at this point, maybe, or to Galadriel at all. It all seems new. Uh, meanwhile, on in, in Middle-earth, Arondir, the elf ranger, and the human healer Bronwyn uh, are into each other, despite their people's respective prejudices and dislike for this um, budding relationship. They discover an orc threat to the humans of the Southlands, even as the elves are leaving their watch post that they've kept up for hundreds and hundreds of years, generations of people that they're worried are going to serve Sauron in the same way they served Morgoth, their, or their an- distant ancestors served Morgoth. Meanwhile, uh, Nori, the Harfoot Hobbit, adopts an old man who falls from the sky as a shooting star um, in the thus, fashion. Thus, cre- thus creating a side project that I could watch an entire series of. <laughs> oh, you're re- re- into, the, into the Harfoots? They, they are oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of adorably designed here, I think. Um, and uh, this is presumably, the star that falls is presumably an Eastar, one of the wizards, uh, one, one of the Meyer, possibly even Gandalf. We'll speculate on that, I'm sure. Who knows? None of them are supposed to arrive in Middle Earth for like at least a thousand years after this. Uh, but so the show is ta- the show is compressing a lot of time. The show is compressing thousands of years of events into one simultaneous timeline. Interesting choice that we'll we'll talk about. Maybe in you know, so I'm sure they would argue a necessary choice for presenting this as a. a a TV show about one set of characters. I was going to say that, uh, I, and I think that we can confirm that there that all these all these events are happening concurrently because of the the mm-hmm. fall of the the, the meteor man. Right. So yeah. so I thought for mm-hmm. a little while like maybe these events are taking place different time periods, a la like The Witcher season one. But yeah, uh, know yeah. that the 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 comet tied everything together. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't realize I like I knew at some point in my head I understood this was all the same time. And you're right. That's the unifying event that let that signal to the viewer. 
um, that everybody's watching this. And, uh, oh yeah, the uh, Nori and Poppy, the Harfoots, they start to communicate with the E-Star, whichever one it is, who's communicating through fireflies, which seems very uh, Gandalfish, potentially. Um, the other the other major plot line so far is Kella Brimbor, um, asterisk, 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 uh, the, uh, the great elven smith convinces Elrond, the half-elven, who gets a little bit of grief for that, um, that we see on the show, to help him build the world's biggest magic forge. I wonder what that will be used for. Uh, Elrond heads to Khazad-dûm to convince the dwarven smiths to help. Hmm. Uh, but Prince Durin of the dwarves uh, is upset that Elrond missed his wedding years ago and never came to visit. Wasn't there to Relatable. be Relatable. You know. Understandable. Yeah. You missed the christening. You missed the baby shower. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, an understandable beef and uh, and then a reigniting of that friendship. Uh, and that's uh, that's the general gist of it, what we saw so mm -hmm. far. These episodes were directed by J.A. Bayona, uh, th that is Hollywood's uh, uh, J.A. Bayona, known for um, uh, cult favorite 2007 horror film, The Orphanage, the, you know, the, the, the 2012 Imp The Impossible about the... Um, the, the family in uh, near Phuket during the tsunami. He directed a Monster Calls. Uh, so, you know, he's got some fantasy and genre bona fides. He also directed mm, some of the Jurassic World uh, movies that we don't necessarily need to <laughs> need to mention that feel, feels like his resume deserves a little, little better overall. Um, and uh, yeah, then I think the rest of the episodes of season will be some other directors. Uh, and yeah, I guess we'll just open the floor there to, to what people are most excited to talk about. You mentioned that that this is one of the largest productions, if not the most, the largest production that Amazon has ever undertaken. Or anyone. And I think it, <laughs> yeah, I think it absolutely shows. I think that the mm -hmm. sets are unbelievably good. Um, I know that they are probably major, like the majority of them are CG, but at this point, mm -hmm. I don't care because I think CG has gotten to a point where it is, you know, an art form. I mean, it's always been an art form, but it is, it is now, I think, on the level of practical sets and practical effects in terms of the amount of time and effort and artistry that goes into them. It might not be, you know, carving things out of wood and clay and, you know, having miniatures and stuff like that, but it is mm -hmm. still like an unbelievable undertaking to create a world on an uh, incredibly advanced piece of machinery. So that's that's the first thing that struck me. Um, and I will have other thoughts as other people, <laughs> as other people jog my memory. <laughs> I think yeah, my, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Uh, I was just going to say that the, I said this to Jerry when we were watching that, like, the one thing missing from Lord of the Rings movie is fucking sea monsters. So I love, <laughs> yeah. I love them getting chased. It felt very um, Princess Bridey of, mm. like, the beautiful blonde with the dress jumping off the fucking boat oh, and then yeah, getting rescued. Like, there's a sea monster. Yeah, like, yeah. It felt very, Shrink. but it's those are eels, I think, compared to what they call the worms. <laughs> Shrieking like eels are Shrieking eels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely absolutely love that. I'm obsessed with Duran. I hope that we yes. get more of him yes. every oh, fucking his family. <laughs> every episode. <Yes>. It's so <laughs> adorable. Whoever they cast is Duran, I haven't looked it up. Fucking perfect voice for that yeah. role. It's just, uh, I just love it so much. Why I love all the Hobbit movies because the dwarves are just so fucking perfect. I love them so much. Hi folks, this is Caleb letting you know you've reached the end of this free preview of the bonus episode on the Rings of Power. There is so much more to the discussion. We go some really fun places and on some interesting digressions. And we have some thoughts on the overall direction of the series that didn't quite turn out as we expected. But to hear all that, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash whatcast. 
If you are already a subscriber at the Tar Valentier or higher, you should have a private link to your own feed with the full episode and all our other bonus episodes on other science fiction and fantasy outside the Wheel of Time. Thanks so much for your support. There was a time when the world was so young. There had not yet been a sunrise. But even then, there was light. have forests to protect. Dwarfs their mines. Mend their fields of grain. But we Harfoots have each other. For I must now wander this wandering day. We're safe. You have fought long enough, Galadriel. Put up your sword. The enemy is still out there. The question now is where? It is over. You have not seen what I've seen. I have seen my share. You have not seen... ...what I have seen. Darkness will march over the face of the earth. It will be the end, not just of our people, but all peoples. I am sorry, but their time has come. The past is with us all. The past is dead. We either move forward, or we die with it. This could be the beginning of a new era. 